we need to shine a light from the outside in on this system. For us, trying to yell between the gaps in the fence, the people on the outside is not going to be beneficial because then we'll be taken advantage of by these officials. But if there's enough light shining on the situation, then they won't be able to do certain things and get away with them. Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. New York City's notorious nine-building Rikers Island jail complex will begin closing down this summer, with the George Machin Detention Center, which now houses 600 men, to be the first of the jails to close, according to the New York Daily News. Critics are concerned that since there's no plan to raise the jail, inmates could be moved back in if the population rises. A 10-year plan for closing the complex would necessitate decreasing the city's jail population by half. As of January 1st, the city's jails contained almost 9,000 prisoners, with almost 7,000 of them on Rikers Island. New York City's 2016 incarceration rate was 167 per 100,000 people. According to the city's Office of Criminal Justice, that's the lowest rate in any major city in the nation. For example, the rate in Chicago was 252 per 100,000 people. In the Cuyahoga County Jail in Cleveland, a dozen prisoners in a juvenile pod revolted on January 8th. They refused to lock down for the night, seizing the pod and holding it until it was stormed by a SWAT team. During the rebellion, they destroyed an estimated $200,000 in lights, windows, hardware, and ceilings. Some of the participants have now been moved to the adult facility. As Prison Legal News reported, a recent study by the U.S. Department of Education found that spending on jails and prisons nationwide was greater than spending on education by a factor of 3 to 1 in a 33-year period from 1979 to 2012. In that period, the country's prison population increased drastically with the passage of harsh sentencing laws. The number of inmates in state and local facilities increased to nearly 2.1 million in 2012 as compared to just over 450,000 in 1979. During this study period, state and local spending on schools increased to $534 billion from $258 billion for an increase of 107%. However, spending on corrections grew by 324%, rising from $17 billion in 1979 to about $71 billion in 2012. Last month, we reported on the annual worldwide noise demonstration scheduled for New Year's Eve outside of prisons. We just received word of an exceptional noise demo organized in the Netherlands supporting immigrants awaiting expulsion. This is an innovative site for a solidarity protest, so we're sharing a statement from the participants. They write, On New Year's Eve, around 20 people held a solidarity action at the Rotterdam at the Hague Airport Deportation Center. 
While almost the entire country was celebrating the new year, hundreds of people are awaiting deportation just because they don't have the correct piece of paper. The prisons next to the runway of the Rotterdam The Hague Airport is one of the places where migrants await their expulsion. As a small gesture of support for the people on the inside and disgust for prisons and the world that needs them, we held a solidarity action at midnight with fireworks, noise, slogans, and banners. And now closer to home, demonstrators gathered outside of the Monroe County Jail on a frigid New Year's Eve. Here's a statement from those participants. They write, For nearly a decade, New Year's Eve in Bloomington, Indiana has been marked with noise demonstrations outside the Monroe County Jail, a so-called correctional center, where prisoners' cages overlook one of the city's most bustling streets. This year, roughly 30 people marched to the jail and gathered outside with drums, pots and pans, and banners that proclaimed fire to the prisons and Happy New Year, solidarity to all prisoners, toward a world without prisons. Drumming, we moved quickly from the clumsy cacophony to synchronized dynamic rhythms. The limestone walls of the jail made our calls to the inside echo even louder. You are not alone. According to NBC, on January 8th, only hours after the ACLU released a letter accusing the state of New Jersey of limiting free speech, the New Jersey Department of Corrections, or DOC, reversed its bans on Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, in two state prisons. The book is about the systemic problem of mass incarceration of African Americans in the U.S. The DOC reversed the bans and insisted that prohibition of the book had not been enacted throughout the department, but only on a prison-by-prison -prison basis, and that the practice would end. The DOC stated that the new Jim Crow is used in a college-level course available to inmates. The ACLU's letter said, quote, For the state burdened with systemic injustice, to prohibit prisoners from reading a book about race and mass incarceration is grossly ironic, misguided, and harmful. It is also unconstitutional." Unquote. This week, we feature two snapshots from fast-developing situations inside the prison system. First, we share an anonymized statement from a prisoner participating in final preparations for Operation PUSH, the statewide strike inside Florida prisons next week. Second, we broadcast an analysis by a Michigan prisoner of the recently instated mail ban there, which is strikingly similar to the new censorship regime in Indiana's prisons. Both these situations have national repercussions, as both prisoners and administrators everywhere watch to see who will prevail and what level of violent repression against inmates will be tolerated by the American public. As we heard at the top of the episode from the prisoner in Florida, quote, if there's enough light shining on the situation, they won't be able to do certain things and get away with it, unquote. Well, Operation PUSH is a non-violent protest to get what we deserve uh, from, from our government. Um, they, they use wordplay and uh, deceive the public about what really goes on inside the system, and we want to expose those things as well as make changes that will benefit us uh, uh, as inmates and also society at large. There are various industries that are run by inmates, and uh, we intend to sit down and refuse to work, um, have, have an economic protest, if you, if you would, mm -hmm. to uh, try to, to bring about change. We want to open up dialogue with the governing parties that, that oversee the prison system. We want to bring parole. And by bringing parole back, it would force inmates to have certification from, from, from anger management uh, to Narcotics Anonymous. They got to get G 
GEDs, they got to stay um, out of trouble for a certain period of time, just to meet the criteria to be eligible for parole. So it would cut down the violence that takes place in prison, and it would also, you know, ensure that every person is is equipped with what they need to re-enter into society. We want to be paid for the work that we do as well, so that somebody doesn't end up doing 10, 15, 20 years not being paid and sent home with a bus ticket and a, and, and a $50 check. We want to create an environment where someone can do their time, be rehabilitated, and, and enter into society with some type of hope and our hopelessness. I joined this action because I have been subject to the system and I see all the flaws and I see all people being destroyed, you know, from a lack of knowledge, from a lack of opportunity. So I want to organize for change so that I can, um, you know, help to do whatever I can to, to create a system that is indescribed to the public, a system that protects the public and the best interests of the public. If I were living in a neighborhood and some, someone were coming home from a situation like this after spending 10, 15, 20 years in the system, I'd rather that person come home educated with a couple of dollars in their pocket so they're not relying on the skill that, that whatever skills that they had that landed them in prison. And they just didn't do all that time not being treated mentally with a program that one would have to complete to be eligible for parole. So I'd rather someone come home like that than someone come home that sat for 15, 20 years under oppression with no money and no skills, no training. And I think that would, that would be helpful for, for society instead of creating a, a revolving door where you lock people up and just set them up for failure so that they keep on coming back. The voice on the outside has to be loud. We need to shine a light from the outside in on this system. For us, trying to yell between the gaps in the fence, the people on the outside is not going to be beneficial because then we'll be taken advantage of by these officials. But if there's enough light shining on the situation, then they won't be able to do certain things and get away with them. They can lock us down in, in CM, which is control management. They can uh, put us in the box. They can take away privileges, is what they describe them as. When it comes to using the phone and, and letters and stuff like that, they, they, they have little, little um, blind spots in the law where they can do certain things that, 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 can, that can strip you of those rights. So you cannot communicate with your family members. They'll lose you in the system, and they, don't, they have the right to keep it um confidential where you are and all that type of stuff. So your family won't know where you are. They won't know what type of health condition you're in. And it's just, it, it, it can just be a very bad situation for us without that support on the outside. When we have rallies outside the prison, when we have media support, when it's even mentioned on the radio and on mainstream programs, then it, it creates an environment. It keeps them honest because now the eye is on them, public eye. That's what we need very heavily, is that media support on the outside. Any way that, that this situation can gain exposure is what we need. In the Panhandle area and all across Florida, because this, this movement is not just for the Panhandle, it's for all the um, correction facilities in Florida.
you know, violence never brings about the uh, desired results. So we're taking a different approach. And the approach that we're employing is is one that has been has been done before and has been proven. In 1967, Martin Luther King led a protest, a boycott against the bus system uh, for equal rights. The signs that, that, that were instructing black people to sit at the back of the bus, what they did was they uh, boycotted the system the buses for 318 days and it brought about change. He also led a similar boycott for Christmas and they were very successful. So that's why we're taking that strategical approach because we don't want to put ourselves in a position where officers are required to use brute force and given an, an excuse to give to the public why they used it. We want to put this out there and make and emphasize that it's a non-violent protest that if we can even do without talking, we'll do without talking until until the, the, the proper official comes that, that can that can uh, uh, bring about change so that we can list our demands and that we can come to the table to compromise to see how how well we can find some middle ground to meet. But. Um, it has been done in history. It's an economical strike, and uh, we just intend to affect the budget as much as we can next year. The budget that the public is being told is, is supported by tax dollars, which is which is fabricated, which is a lie. The system actually pays for itself. I have done research that that, that tells me that there are three million prisoners in the in the, in the DOC system across the United States, and the industries that we run our laundry and agriculture and, and cooking, kitchen, maintenance, everything, this this whole entire operation is run by inmates on, on the inside. We do the upkeep, we do the maintenance, we do the painting. So by sitting down and refusing to work, these officials will have to find some replacement in doing those jobs. By law, they have to feed us, so they're going to have to find people to cook and serve the food. And every day that we sit down will affect the budget for next year. So we're hoping to bring about enough effect to where, you know, we're taking seriously. But that's why the voice in the streets is so important because inmates are ready to rally behind that voice in the streets. But as it is right now, it's, it's a very tentative situation because if, if we don't feel that confident, it's going to, it's going to bring about division. Here. So the most important thing is that exposure that we've been talking about this entire conversation. We need exposure in the Central Florida, South Florida, Panhandle, East and, and West Florida. Well, you know, there are there are many uh, different groups that make up the prison system. There are gangs, there are people from different ethnicities, there are uh, religious groups. In, in the beginning, it was a movement that was coming together very well, but over the course of time, the officers here have become aware. They know that it's coming. So now the inmate population feels like they have the upper hand. So we're really looking for outside support to do the things that we're telling them are needed, like um, get us exposure, get us on the radio, get us on TV, put groups together to protest out in front of the facilities. And um, that will bring us all back together again. And thank everyone that, that did in support. God 
You can get information on how to support the prisoners involved with Operation Push at the Fight Toxic Prisons website. That's fighttoxicprisons.wordpress.org. Briefly, they have five basic ways they suggest you show support. 1. Attend and or organize a solidarity demo. At the moment, there are several planned across Florida for January 15th and 16th. There are well over 100 other locations relevant to the Florida DOC, where even small demonstrations will add pressure in the upcoming weeks. And for those not in Florida, all of these facilities and admin offices have phone numbers. 2. Ask organizations that you are a part of to join the growing list of supporters. Currently, there are 60 organizations signed on in support. 3. Use your networks to amplify the news of the strike, via social media, letters to the editor, etc. A simple search of Operation Push Florida Prisons brings you to dozens of articles, radio shows, etc. that can be shared. 4. Write to a prisoner. Remind them that they are not forgotten by the world outside the walls. The names of several prisoners who have been active inside the Florida DOC can be found online. But they get moved around a lot, so be sure to check for their most current address. 5. Make financial donations to support the strike and offer solidarity. Donation funds are being handled by members of Gainesville, IWOC, and Fight Toxic Prisons. More information can be found online. Up next, we hear from a prisoner about the new mail policies being implemented in Michigan and how it's impacting prisoners there as well as their families. You might remember a similar set of letters from our previous episode entitled Fighting the Mail Ban about the new mail policies here in Indiana's prisons. Now we get a more detailed explanation of the reasons for such a ban and how it affects prisoners and their families. And now we read a letter from Rand Gold, who is incarcerated in Michigan, entitled New Mail Policy in Michigan Prisons, Billionaires Profit at the Expense of Prisoners, Their Families and Friends, and the U.S. Postal Service. He writes, Effective November 1st, 2017, the Michigan Department of Corrections, MDOC, has instituted a new mail policy, which they falsely claim will stem the flow of contraband, primarily the controlled substances Suboxone and Fentanyl, into Michigan prisons, when they well know over 80% of all contraband is smuggled into prisons by employees, as confirmed by multiple studies. If the MDOC really wanted to stop drugs and other contraband, such as cell phones and tobacco, from entering its prisons, then they would search all MDOC employees just as thoroughly upon entry as they do prisoners' families and friends when visiting. Consequently, one can only conclude that stopping contraband is not the goal of this new policy, merely the excuse for it and a cynical person might easily think this new policy's goal is to enable MDOC employees to corner the remaining 20% of the contraband market. Its real goal, however, is to stop prisoners, their families, and friends from sending mail via the U.S. Postal Service, USPS, and force them into buying email stamps from JPay, so JPay and the MDOC can rake in profits while enabling this mail to be closely monitored and recorded for future reference thus taking a big step towards the eventual shutdown of prison mailrooms, while effectively abrogating the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution by preventing newspapers, magazines, and other publications from entering MDOC prisons. As already established, sending and receiving email is not a right, it is a privilege, with prisoners on sanctions not allowed to access JPEG kiosks. When prisoners in sanctions, even in the whole, i.e. administrative segregation, send and receive USPS mail by right. Welcome to the Panopticon, where all is seen, yet remains hidden, so billionaires can stuff their pockets at the public's expense. JPay, by the way, is a subsidiary of Securus, 
the second largest prison phone company in the U.S., currently owned by the shadowy hedge fund Avery Partners, and in the process of being sold, if not sold already, to Detroit Pistons owner Tom Gore's Platinum Equity. Meanwhile, Pitney Bowles, FedEx, and UPS are waiting in the wings for the USPS's demise in order to snap up the profitable urban and suburban mail routes, leaving the unprofitable rural routes with minimal, if any, mail service. The USPS having been rendered unprofitable through the congressional accounting trick of forcing it to fund pensions years in advance, at behest of Pitney Bowles at all, at the expense of its infrastructure. The final blow will likely come from Donald Trump, whose policy is to sacrifice the public's interests and assets on the altar of private capital. A close read of the MDOC's new mail policy directive and operating procedure, PD0503118, and OP0503118A, respectively, both posted at www.freerandgold.com, signed by MDSC Director Heidi Washington, reveals they have less to do with stopping drugs and way more to do with ending prisoners' communication via USPS mail, while going a long way and proving George Orwell's point that, quote, the greatest enemy of clear language is insincerity, end quote. Tellingly, the section of the new PD0503118 titled Prohibited Incoming Mail begins with a blatant lie. Quote, Envelopes which cannot be effectively searched may provide a means of introducing controlled substances, for example, suboxone or fentanyl, or other contraband which poses a threat to the security, good order, or discipline of the facility. End quote. A lie because the MDOC well knows plain envelopes can be easily and effectively searched using a light pad or detection light as described in OP0503118A, paragraph C, subparagraph 4, which it has been doing for years. Formerly, they claimed that only padded, corrugated envelopes could not be effectively searched, as stated in the old mail policy, PD0503118, paragraph BB, effective date September 14, 2009. Nevertheless, according to the new mail policy and procedure, all incoming envelopes will be thrown in the trash, unshredded, leaving anyone, including other prisoners, access to prisoners' families and friends' addresses. They will then be replaced with new plain white envelopes, paid for by our Prisoner Benefit Fund, PBF, with our names and numbers written on them, hopefully with our letters inside and, in most cases, leaving us no way of knowing the return address or even the name of the sender. However, the newly rewritten, effective November 1, 2017, PBF Policy Directive, PD0402110, paragraph E, still specifically forbids the MDOC's use of the PBF to purchase these replacement envelopes. Quote, The PBF shall not be used to fund an activity or program that is necessary to institutional operations. End quote. Ignoring the preceding paragraph, the MDOC added language in paragraph F that directly contradicts it. Quote, in addition, the PBF shall be used to purchase plain envelopes used for the delivery of prisoner mail in accordance with PD 0503118, an error typical of the MDOC, which has long taken the position that it is not required to follow its own rules, or the law for that matter. Similar to the Indiana Department of Corrections new mail policy put in place temporarily on April 1st, April Fool's Day, really, as reported this summer by Kwame Bean Shakur in San Francisco Bayview, the MDOC's new mail policy requires all personal correspondence to be printed or written only in black or blue ink, or graphite pencil, and greeting cards to be commercially produced, which effectively prevents any drawings or cards made by prisoners' children, 
grandchildren, nieces, or nephews from coming into prisons. I, for one, really looked forward to the drawings my niece made, usually in crayon, and was looking forward to similar drawings from her two girls, none of which will be allowed in, according to this new mail policy, and none of which is capable of coming in via JPEG. No photos printed on photo paper, cardstock, or paper heavier than 24 pound will be allowed in either. Moreover, some prison mailroom employees, either through malice or ignorance, are misinterpreting the new mail policy regarding ink color and paperweight to apply to publications sent directly from the publisher or authorized vendor, such as newspapers, magazines, books, etc., when both policy and procedures state that they are to apply to, quote, written content, end quote, only. See PD 0503118, paragraph 00, subparagraphs 2 and 3, and OP 0503118A, paragraph C, subparagraphs 6B and 6C. Further, they are ripping or cutting off the mailing labels on these publications. When OP 0503118A, paragraph C, subparagraph 6A, specifically states, quote, The following prevents an effective search and therefore shall be rejected. A unless received directly from the publisher or an authorized vendor, mail that is taped, pasted, or otherwise joined to another item, end quote. One MDOC employee even claimed they would be rejecting Bibles with red printing inside and removing bindings from hardcover books, as incredible as that sounds. None of the foregoing, including the new mail policy itself, meets the test of rationally relating to a serious penological concern set forth by the U.S. Supreme Court in Turner v. Safely, 482 U.S. 78-89, Certainly, the MDOC's concerns regarding incoming prisoner mail can be addressed using far less dangerous and destructive methods, such as the use of a light pad and a physical search, as before, in order to avoid this wholesale trampling of prisoners, their families, friends, and other mail senders' constitutional rights, especially those of freedom of speech and press, and to send and receive USPS mail, as guaranteed by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Spreading from Indiana's prisons to Michigan's, like some viral disease, it is only a matter of time before this policy of monetizing and restricting prisoners' mail at the expense of their families and friends, as well as various publishers and the USPS, for the financial benefit of hedge fund billionaires, other corporate bottom feeders, and prison administrators, infects the whole country from coast to coast. That is why we are issuing a call to our families and friends, especially those in the prison abolition movement, to organize actions against this illegal and outrageously repressive new mail policy. We also urge everyone to phone MDOC Director Heidi Washington, who is responsible for this travesty, directly at 517-373-0720 or via the MDOC's main number at 517 335 1426, and state your objections. Finally, we request any concerned attorneys to contact us at our address below in order to help us litigate against this egregious infringement upon all our First Amendment rights. Don't monetize prisons, abolish them. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. 
Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512, or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.